Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Well, hello. Welcome to Resurrection Sunday. Awesome day. Great worship, guys. Thank you so much. More fun to come. Power of the Resurrection, Resurrection Sunday. Power of the Resurrection comes with a, a built-in lifelong homework assignment. Because of what happened the day the universe changed, on the day that Jesus rose from the dead, it gives us meaning and purpose in life. And it's this. It, it, it's, it's from the Older Testament. It was, it was quoted in the New Testament. But seek the Lord and, and love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's, that's the purpose of life. To seek the Lord, find the Lord, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to count the cost. You better, I mean, Jesus said that. You better count the cost because truth will lead you to places, and it, it might cost you money. I mean, it could cost you a career. It could cost you some friendships. It could cost you family members. But he says you always win. You, 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 you got to be true to truth. You have to be true to God. And when you pursue this, you'll be blessed by God. You'll experience eternal life in this life and the life to come. It's hard to do that. It's hard to pursue who God really is. And the reason we have such difficulty pursuing God is because we have lies about God in our souls rattling around. And so sometimes, you know, to know him is to love him. But if we have this erroneous view of him, we don't want to know him. And maybe that's the reason we don't want to love him. We get these, these lies. Everyone has lies about God. Everyone has multiple lies about God. We, we get them sometimes by, you know, maybe a, a church or denomination you grew up in. And they told things that weren't just were flat wrong. They weren't true. They were lies. Sometimes the parenting that we experienced and the names that are attached to that parenting are lies, and we project that upon, upon God. If, you, if you're any student of any kind of church history, you know of the ridiculous, stupid things done in the very name of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, no, 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 right? And sometimes even internally, if, if, if all those other three things didn't exist as a source of lies, we would come up, we would conjure up our own view of God. And we would make him maybe in our image or in the way we would like him to be. And those are lies. I mean, it would, in some respects, to make it a contemporary kind of uh, context, uh, God suffers from the ultimate identity theft, you know, expression of identity theft. You know what that is, right? When somebody takes, I mean, I can't imagine what this would be like, you know, right? We know stories about it, but somebody takes your name and then goes and does things in your name and then you have to live with the consequences and the reputation and the responsibility of someone else, but they took your name and did it. That wasn't you. Uh, there was a comedy, I think, this year or the year before uh, called Identity Theft. I, I think if you saw the preview, you saw the movie. Didn't see the movie, but I did see the preview. It's a comedy based on, on drastic contrasts, okay? And so the main character is uh, Sandy Patterson, and they chose that name because it could go male or female. And so the real Sandy Patterson is kind of a skinny little guy from Denver. And, and his, his identity is hijacked by uh, kind of a stocky woman in Florida. And he's, you know, he's kind of known for being a, a good, honest accountant. She's a conniving con woman. He's, he's like, he's the great American citizen. Uh, he's also wanted for possession and distribution of hard narcotics in Florida. And when he sat down with the FBI agent, his answer was, I've never even been to Florida. 
right? I mean, so, I, but he's got his, the rest of the movie is him trying to get his identity rectified and made right, right? I mean, can you imagine what God must go through this in such extensive ways in our, because the people that say, oh yeah, I don't believe in God, I don't like God, because some preacher or denomination or something you know, pushed this down and said, this is what God is like, you know, and, and listen, this is, this is nothing new. You know, people have been in, in the pulpits have been telling lies about God for years. When Jesus came, when he taught, if you look carefully, you'll see many of his teachings began with this sentence. You've heard it said, but I say. You know what he's really saying? You've heard it said, that's a lie. That's not what the Father's like. That's not it at all. In, in church history, it would be, you know, again, church history, you have these people running around, and they're wearing the family crest, right, the, of God, the giant cross. The, and they're doing uh, all sorts of crazy things. Um, the Crusades, parts of the Crusades and the Inquisition and, and even Nazis. And God says, no, 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 wait, they're not my, that's not my, that's my family crest, but they're not my family. I don't, I don't know these people. I've never even been to Florida, right? That's not me. But we, we have these things rattling around in our heads, and we think that's what he's like. Some of you, some of you are cautious about deepening a relationship with God or even starting one because you have a grotesque and demented view of a single word, Father. And you, and you had some branding put on you with that word, and God would, he would pay anything to go back and give you a blank sheet of paper and say, no, no, no that's, not, that's not what Father is. I'm, I'm a victim of identity theft. Let me, let me show you what it means to be a, a Father that provides and protects you. Let me show you what a true definition of fatherhood is, where I have ambitions that are great for you, and I can help you attain those things. I can make you become greater than anything you could imagine. I can make you become like my son. But yet, here's the thing. We, we have these lies, and we hold on to those instead of what God would have us do. All of us are believing in lies about God. Some of us have more than others. Some of us believe them in, in a deeper way. We're more committed to the lies. And so, I'm you know, essentially what we do here at this church at Grace, honestly, is what we, we, we hunt these lies down and we call them out for what they are and then we say, but what's God really like? That's what we do here week to week. That's why we study the Bible. It's a book full of what's right and real and true. And we, and we try to get down into the recesses of our souls and saying, but what do you, where'd you get that lie? What is it, is that what God is like? No, it's not. And if you want to know more about getting involved at Grace, how we can serve you in that way, uh, there's a card that will tear off in the bulletin. You can check one of those three boxes. Let us know how we can help you pursue this lifelong homework assignment of knowing God and loving God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Now, here's the thing. Here's the truth that I want to spend some time with today on Resurrection Sunday. This is the truth that I, I think that God would want us to just understand completely and grasp and then move out forward. It's this. This is the truth that God has gone to extravagant measures that you would know this truth, that he, that he relates to you so that you can relate to him. Okay, that's it. He's, he wants you to know this truth, that uh, he, he, can, he can identify with you so that you could identify with him. There's a so that in there. 
He can relate to you so that you can relate to him. He can identify with you so that you can identify with him. And here's why this is so important. Because being understood, being understood by someone else is one of the deepest longings for the human soul. Being comprehended or just to know that someone else can grasp what you've experienced and, and the emotion and the consequence to your soul, just knowing one other person that, ex- that knows that and can comprehend that, it's releasing to us because if, if we don't, if we don't have someone like that, we, we wander the world in isolation and, and again, this, this, this globe that's filled with people and we feel like we're the only ones that don't, that have this thing and no one gets us. There's a deep loneliness, this helplessness in, in a hostile experience. And, and so, watch, let me just prove this to you. If you've, if you've had an experience, an illness, something's gone in your life, right? Then you'll find yourself talking to friends about it and then they, uh, they don't get it. They, they're, fill, they're filling in the sentence and that's not how the sentence ends. So, uh, so you go home, you tell your, your family, and they don't get it. And so what happens is you find yourself just thinking, I mean, I was so connected with some of these people, but the part that has influenced me the most, I'm not sharing anymore. Hey, you're sitting at a Starbucks, you're hearing somebody, oh, oh, you know, overhearing someone else. You go, wait, what? You've, you've been there? You've done that? You've experienced those things? And the person says, well, sure. And we meet on Tuesday. You know what those are, right? Those are support groups. There's, there's 50 categories of support groups in America alone. And do you know why they're helpful? It's sure, yeah, uh, they can help you. Sure. Can they give you advice? Sure, why not, okay? They're support groups because some people are roaming around wondering, are they the only ones? And then they circle some chairs around each other, and they say, we're not. We're not. We, we, you've, we have so much overlapping. We have nothing in common but this one thing in common, and that has brought us together. That, I'm just trying to illustrate to you that being known and understood by a fellow soul is a primary need for us. Now, if we feel that God is distant from us, if we feel like he can't relate to us, sometimes because we have a view of God that's exalted, that he's transcendent, he just can't grasp what it's like to go through my world, then what, what that does is that keeps us distant from him. And, and, and sometimes when we experience something that's rather traumatic, we can say, well, where, where was God? Where is he now? It's the silence. It's the silence sometimes that drives some people away from God or it just stalls their growth. Let me give you an example. I have a friend, a number of years ago, this, a woman told me um, an interesting story about her growth in Christ. She grew up in a pretty good home. She went to church regularly. She really likes to know God, and she's growing nicely in, in her walk, and she said, and then it came to a dead stop because of this one event. And the event was, now, just to give you an idea who this is, uh, what she's like, she's a very modest woman, okay? She's, she's tenderhearted. She's shy, very reserved, okay, timid. And she was having some health issues, and she had to go to the emergency room. And if you went to the, one of those back rooms, if you've been there, they give you a sheet of toilet paper, and they say, here, put this on, have it open in the back. <laughs> it's, if there's modesty in you, it's gone at this point. And, and they had her do that. And then when the primary doctor came in 
they realized that she was uh, descending at a pretty steep rate. And so they had her on the gurney and they raced her down a public hallway, but she was unable to help herself keep her robe from flying up. And so she's, she's and there was a, a great ruckus in this emergency you know, movement down the hallway. And so everybody's turning and looking at her while her robe is flapping around and she can't get her arms or hands free to do this. Then she's turned into a, a, an ER or rather a, a pre-operating room and then more doctors come in and then nurses and then interns. In the age of her children, they come in and gawk at her in her state of humiliation, her nudity and her shame. And she just broke down and started crying uncontrollably all by herself on that gurney. And she felt like just the whole room and most of the hospital had seen her and was laughing at her. And she said, she said then she kind of turned in on herself and was grinding her teeth wondering, you know, God, would it have been so inconvenient of you and your strength and power to have tucked my gown in underneath me? You know, what was the purpose in all of this for some student to get, you know, a pop quiz? Why? And so because she couldn't reconcile the, the why of that, she just quit pursuing God. She continued to go through the motions, but mostly for her family. But she's like, I, I, she didn't want any more to do with him. But, and, and I tell you the story because so many of us have a story where we felt like, where is God when I needed him? Or does he even have a, a clue about what I must be going through? And you come to the conclusion that he doesn't. He doesn't know what you're like or what it feels like to be you. And I'm here to tell you that that's a lie. I'm here to tell you that God has gone to incomprehensible, extreme measures so that you know this truth, that he can relate to you so that you'll relate to him. He can relate to you so that you can know him and trust him and that you'll know that you're never alone. Look, here's a promise in the Bible. It just says it just like, how does this verse get in the Bible? Look what it says. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is, in every respect, has been tested as we have, well, except without sin. I mean, how does that sentence get in the Bible? Simple. Because so many people have believed the lie that we don't have a high priest like Jesus who can relate to us. And in this passage, this verse says this fact. He does. And I want to show you that in contrast to, to the lie that you say on your super high days or your super low days, this is when you feel like God's nowhere in the room. I'll tell you this, it's during these heights and troughs when you're most connected to God. That's when he can relate to you. That's when you could have a tangent point where you're most intimate with him if you stop and ignore the lie and believe this truth that's in, found in Hebrews. Case in point, here's what I'll use for an illustration, okay? Passion week. Okay, this Passion Week is the week before Resurrection Sunday. It starts on Sunday and goes through till Saturday. It's called Passion Week because of the depth of passion, emotion, existential experience. There's the big words, right? That Jesus goes through and scholars throughout history have said, so that we would see that he can relate to us. We, ha we have a high priest that can acknowledge our experiences together. Okay, it's just, just look, let's just look at this one week alone, and I want you to see how as the week progresses, okay, okay the, the depth of these emotions and these experiences are going to go farther and farther down. I want you to just be listening for that. And then and finally, I want you to, to see that, that uh, 
the significance of Passion Week, if you just have a passing knowledge of Jesus Christ, okay, you're just somewhat familiar with him, you're going to know all of these stories. Do you, know why do, you, do, you, do you know why you know all these stories? Because these are the stories that people have come to the realization that the, the truth that God has gone to extensive measures so that we would believe that he can relate to us so that we can relate to him. That's why we all know these stories. Was Passion Week starts off on what's called Palm Sunday. It was last week, right? We celebrated that. Palm Sunday is this. When Jesus is in Jerusalem, population swollen with Jewish people, and they realize that Jesus is the king, and they're, and they're, and they're putting him on a cult, and they're giving him a royal entry, royal entry, and they're screaming, you know, hallelujah, here comes the king. And while all of that is happening, Jesus is realizing that these are fair-weather uh, fans in five days, many of these people, maybe most of these people, are going to be screaming, crucify him. And there, there, is an, there is a loneliness, there's an isolation that happens to a human soul when you realize that you're drowning in the screams of fair-weathered fans. Some of you may have experienced, because of you know, some kind of fame or fortune or power, that because of that, you're having to look over your shoulder, and you don't know for sure who your real friends are. Because if you lost some of that fame or fortune or power, they might scurry off. And do you know what Jesus says? I, I can relate to that. I can. <laughs> look, on Tuesday, on Passion Week of Tuesday, if you think you're the only one that is furious and boiling over, with manipulative and conniving bullies in power and religious leaders stealing money from people, that's called the cleansing of the temple. And that's when Jesus realizes that these, these men in authority and men in spiritual positions of power are stealing money from people, using it to make their, you know, right, game show host on TV, dressed as pastors. And he turns the place inside out. <laughs> It says in the Bible, be angry, but do not sin. That's what it's like. It looks just like that. 1,500 years before Shakespeare ever penned the words in the biography of Julius Caesar where he says, E tu Brutus, the betrayal of Jesus by Judas with a kiss. Jesus says this, Judas, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? In all of human history, friends, there has never been a more hypocritical act than this kiss. So if that's part of your experience and you're fighting the seething bitterness that comes up when you realize that this person that you've invested so much in is the very one that's betraying you and selling you out, Jesus says, hey, I can quench that bitterness with this. I understand. I, I, I can relate to you, and you, you can relate to me. You ever been in a situation where you heard a rooster crow three times because your friends turned on you when you needed them the most? That's what Jesus felt like. As he's being taken off, he turns and sees Peter. Three times. The guy's going to die for him and with him. Three times. Denies him. Here's my theme. Here's the point. Here's the 
point of passion, one of the points of passion week is God is going to these extravagant measures, crazy means for you to believe this to be true, not the lies, this to be true, that God can relate to you so that you can relate to him. Christ can empathize with you so you can empathize with him. Been falsely accused by the people in authority? Boy, there's some people just even in our own Williamson County, right, that more and more of these cases come forward. And when you're in those situations, not many of you have experienced this, but when you've had in those situations and you're in jail, you're screaming, you know, into the sky. You don't want to have a relationship with God because you're saying, where's the justice? Where's the justice? And if you stop screaming long enough and stop believing the lies for just a few seconds, you might hear him because he'll say, it's not here and it's not now, but it's coming soon. I promise. I can relate, and you should relate. Beaten and humiliated is the next part of the Passion Week, and uh, again, you know, we're looking at all. It's a very beautiful church, and you are very beautiful people, I might add, and you're looking especially good today. Some of you guys clean up nicely. But when you come in here, this is what happens for a lot of people when they come in, and they're, and they're looking around at others. It's easy for you to project on the, on the nice clothes and the good haircuts and say, they've never experienced suffering. And I, I, I want to tell you, as a person that knows better, that there are many people that have, in this auditorium, that are smiling and all things look well to them, and they have been held captive for, ext- for extreme experiences. Some of them have been beaten and tortured, many humiliated in this auditorium. Let's not talk about the history of Christendom but in just in this auditorium, and there's a fog that happens when you've been tortured, that it's, it's very difficult to trust anything anymore. It's very difficult to make eye contact. It's a, it's a dreadful thing, and one of the problems with it is, is you look to heaven and you say, what happened when I needed you the most? Where were you when? And, and Jesus says, I, no, I was there, and I've been there. I know exactly how you feel. My, my lady friend that I told you about in the hospital, let me, let me tell you how the end of this story works out. She went to church, okay? She did it for her family. It was perfunctory, okay? She wanted her kids to know the stories of Jesus and that sort of thing. But she decided in her heart that she would go no further because of all that she lost on that afternoon in the hospital. And then she was studying Passion Week. And in the study, she started seeing some of these paintings that we're looking at. And we, we got to the painting of, of the march, to Golgotha, and she saw him naked or near naked and how he couldn't even defend his modesty. And she, she saw herself in him. She felt his shame, and she did the math, and she said, if I can feel his shame, he felt my shame. And so, like the screwdriver that had fell into the cogs of her spiritual life and jammed everything out, that broke free that day. And she came to realize, now the gears are turning faster than ever because she, she realized the thing, the lie that was keeping her from knowing God, that he couldn't relate to her, was in fact a lie. And she began to believe the truth instead, that he could relate because he'd been there. He'd felt that. And now she's off and running. Here's, I hope I'm being convincing, okay, that God has gone to all these measures so that you would believe the truth, that he can relate to you so that you could relate to him. Because all of this is building up 
to this value that you and I, we, we can't escape sorrow and suffering and misery. And those are the times where we're going to be wondering if God can relate. And I'm telling you, yes, especially during those times. And Passion Week doesn't end with his beating. It ends in the final days, the crucifixion. And let's dissect this. He can relate to us so that we can relate to him. This is the part where he could not relate to us. We have a high priest that's like us in every way but sin. And this, this crucifixion is when he chose to relate to us. And he chose to relate to our sin. And he says, well, it's like, I've never done anything like that. I've never felt shame and guilt before. I will allow that to be placed on my shoulders so that I can relate to them. And that is the ultimate expression of, of, of him relating to us. It's called Good Friday. And it doesn't look like Good Friday. But for people that have put their trust that that was their fault, that that was their day, it becomes a good day. Because for him to relate to you on that cross, it means you have to vanquish all of those sins, and he takes them, and it's paid in full. God can relate to us so that we can relate to him. This is not a Good Friday speech. This is not a Good Friday service. This is a resurrection service. There's no one on that cross. Friday was two long days ago. It was an eternity ago. Because when I say this, that Jesus has gone to great extent so that we, he could relate to us, so that he, we can relate to him is the point. He takes on our sin so that we can take on his righteousness. We can relate to him. We can understand him because of that. We're not celebrating the death of Christ. We don't say Jesus died for my sins 2,000 years ago. We say Jesus died for my sins and he rose again 2,000 years ago. Watch, look at this truth. Watch this truth. If we've been united with him in death because he was relating to us, we will certainly also be united with him in resurrection. We can relate to him. If you just look at that sentence and believe it to be true, here's what happens in your mind. Here's what's happening in a soul. You realize in the, that we've been united with him in death. We've realized that we were on that cross and he came up and joined us. And then it says, if that's true, if that's true, if that's where you put your faith, then when they took him down, they took you down. And when they put him in that tomb, they put you in that tomb. And when he rose again on Sunday, you rose again on Sunday. It was a crowded cross. It was a crowded tomb. It was an empty tomb. He can relate to us so that we can relate to him. And now we're free from shame. I, it doesn't matter what your preacher said growing up and how he bulked on shame in your life because this harrowing voice comes over all of that and says, you are mine. You, you receive the power of the resurrection, the Bible says, and that's true. I don't care what your lies are. The power of the resurrection says, I don't care what your win-loss record is in your issues of addiction or personality change. If you would believe these truths, that you rose again with him, it might be more powerful than you, but it's not powerful, more powerful than that spirit. Forgiveness is granted to you because God said so. And the conniving and manipulation your parents might have used to keep you a compliant kid and, and in on time, he doesn't do that. 
He doesn't play those games. Now we're just overflowing with gratitude. Watch, I'm going to show you again one more time how he's relating to us so that we can relate to him. First, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who had no sin to be sin on our behalf. The ultimate expression of Christ relating to us. Okay, So that, look at the next sentence, so that we might become righteous, the righteousness of God in him. <laughs> We're walking around in somebody else's robe, and it's a kingly robe. It belongs to Jesus. And now how do we live? Overflowing with gratitude. We don't know. That's the primary motivation now. Because we've come to this realization that he can relate to us so that we can relate to him. Not in our own doing, but because we inherited his, his righteousness. Do you, do you see how that works? That's certainly one of the points of the, of the Passion Week story so we can get connected. And that's just like this one week, friends. It's one week. Read his story. Look how much you have in common so that you can see in these times of feeling of isolation, you can feel instead this closeness. Here's a couple applications for our time together. It should be obvious and pretty simple. One is we have homework for the rest of our life. I know that doesn't, I, should, I need to come up with another word, homework. Hmm. It's identity crisis or identity theft for homework. The rest of your life, do this. Just do this. You pursue what's true about God and love him with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. You do that. You do that. That's what we do here. Because here's the thing. What you believe about God is the most important thing about you. It, it influences all of your relationships and many of the decisions you make. What you believe about God, and I'm here to tell you, as a fellow human being, most of what you believe is a lie. And so here's my, here's my invitation. Why don't you join us? I mean, we're just kind of fumbling along, but the value in this church is this. Everybody shows up with an eraser and a Sharpie, and we're looking for, we're looking for what's found to be true in the Bible, what's right and real and true, and we're finding out in our own souls what's a lie, and we're erasing that, and we're, instead we're getting the sharper and we're writing truth over that. We're writing what's true about God, because to know him is to love him. And so, no, we don't have to fear anymore God because we, we think he's malicious. We don't have to be right angry or bitter with God because he didn't give us everything we, we want because it turns out he's not a grandfather. We're not indifferent towards God because we think God's indifferent towards us. Join a church. If not, I mean, it'd be great if you joined us, but join a church that teaches what's true about God and spend the rest of your life saying, I don't, I don't care what my experience was about the word father, I'm going to redefine it according to the Bible. I don't care what my experience was about you know, right? All these do this thing. And I guess the, the second thing is you have to learn to trust him. Belief in the Bible is, is not the ability to recite something from memory. It's the ability to do something with that truth. Okay? That's what we try to do here. Here's what you need to, you need to learn how to trust in what's true. Look, for example, look at our theme today was this passage, right? The first sentence in 15 says, we don't have a high priest. Like, see, they thought they did. No, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one with every respect has been tested as we are, have, except we're without sin. That's an interesting truth. So what? So what? The next sentence. Therefore... Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that you might receive mercy and find grace 
to help you in a time of need. When you speak to God, do you approach that throne boldly? Boldly. Do you, or, or look what it says. It says, therefore, because he can relate to us, you know that. He relates to us, and now we can relate to him. Because of that, you don't cower behind some pillar in the great throne room. What, what throne room was that? Of grace. It's the throne room of grace. In that throne room of grace. Is that you over there? Like a seven-year-old girl behind the pillar? I'm just lucky to be here. That's not what it says. It says you walk up the center aisle. Quit passing notes to a friend. Can you pray for me? I don't think he listens to me. It says you walk down the center aisle, and when, and when you're walking, don't you hang your head? Because what did we sing earlier? He lifted our head and said, you are mine. And you say, but that, I, don't, I don't feel that. I don't care. Okay? Truth doesn't care. Truth does not care. Truth cares about truth, and that truth says you're his. And you should boldly walk down the center aisle of the throne of grace looking for mercy and grace in your time of need. Not because of what you've done, but because what he did and what he promised to be true. Have you put your trust in God at such a level that you walk down that center line to the throne room of Jesus Christ with your shoulders back and your head up because he said so? If you haven't, Resurrection Sunday, 2016, that's a good day to start doing that. If you've never trusted the, that the death of Jesus Christ was your fault and the resurrection was to give you his righteousness, you choose that today. If you've chosen that, but you chose not to believe it, you believe in lies instead, you choose to believe in truth today and spit on those lies. You make a choice today, okay? You make a choice for truth and for the love of God. You join me in prayer? I don't know where you are, right? You might be a long way from God and you've been gone for a long time and you're probably not proud of that. Um, probably wrecked a bunch of stuff. God has gone to extreme measures so that you would know this truth, that you, you are known and you can know him. You can know him through Jesus Christ. And here's how you do it. You say, I confess my sins to you, God. Some other time, I'll write them all down. I don't want to miss one. I want, I want to make Good Friday my Good Friday. I want to receive forgiveness, not from trying to be a good person, but because you promised that you would take my sin and I would take your righteousness as a gift. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful. God, we are so overwhelmed that you are not transcendent. You're not so far out that you are transcendent, but you've chosen to invade our world and you've chosen to be like us so that we might know you and be known by you. And so we pray, Lord, on this day, we pray together. In the name of the hope bringer and the sin defeater and the death destroyer and the spirit sender, that we can have a life without shame, a life filled with power, and a life completely forgiven, an intimate eye-to-eye -eye contact relationship with our King, our God, the creator of all things. We pray this because of Jesus, and it's his name we pray. Amen.
For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org.